Hey everybody, this is Senior Pastor Joshua B. Carson saying thank you for tuning into the CT Podcast. We hope that your time here, whether you're driving down the road or whether you're sitting at home with a journal and listening in, we hope that it's effective. Maybe it'll be inspirational, encouraging, maybe it'll be thought-provoking. Regardless of what session you're listening to, we truly pray that this is a benefit to you and to your family. God bless and enjoy the podcast. 2 Samuel chapter 9. I'm just going to start here at at verse 1. I'm not going to read all of these verses. This this story goes on. I may get through 11 verses, but I probably won't read them in entirety. But this is a place where David is in rule and leadership. He has transitioned from shepherd to king, and he asks a question, is there... Anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. And that would be a really great title right there, Brother Barkus, just for Jonathan's sake. It wasn't for Saul's sake. Let's just recap very quickly. Saul was the guy heaving javelins at his head. (laughs) Okay? Saul was what we would call nowadays an insecure leader. (laughs) Right? We try to train our leaders. If you got to be everybody's favorite, you have an ego issue. I've traveled all over the country telling people, if you've got to be everybody's favorite, you've got to always lead a small group. If you can't, oh, wow. Some of you are like, that's why. (laughs) There it is. You're welcome. Okay. Is there anyone I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was in the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba or Ziba. He said, are, are, are you Ziba? He said, yeah, I'm, I'm the servant. Verse 3 said, is there anybody in the house of, of Saul? I, I, I want to be able to show some kindness of God unto him. And the servant said, Jonathan has a son And his identifier here is that he is lame on his feet. Verse 4, he said he's in in Lodabar. Verse 5, David sends for him. Verse 6, when Mephibosheth, this son of Jonathan, he comes in. The Bible says that he falls on his face. He is reverencing David. I'll tell you what he is, ladies and gentlemen. He's afraid. He is this remaining individual from the house of Saul through Jonathan. And he's afraid that he's going to be put to death. He falls at reverence before David. And David says in verse 7, fear not. Everyone say, fear not. Yeah, he said, fear not. I'm going to show you kindness for Jonathan, thy father's sake. I've wondered when David looked into Mephibosheth's face if he could remember his relationship come to life with Jonathan. Jonathan was more like an uncle, an older uncle in age and relational value to David. And he shows such kindness when even David's own father seems to be excluding him at the time when Samuel had come to the house. And then Saul is this javelin and spear-throwing instigator against him, does not want him. Jonathan, God did something, and there was a knitting together. 
he bowed himself. He said, what is thy servant, Mephibosheth, asked that you'd look on a dead dog like me? Isn't that, isn't that such a terrible description? This is where Mephibosheth is living. Please catch this. This is where Mephibosheth is living mentally. He's physically lame, but he is mentally lame. He is physically physically out of sorts according to the culture, but he is mentally and emotionally. The king called unto Ziba, Saul's servant. He said, verse 9, I've given unto thy master son all that pertain to Saul and his house. Thou therefore, thy sons, thy servants, you till the land for him. He can't do it himself. You're going to do it for him and you bring the fruits that my master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, thy master's son shall eat bread always at my table. Watch this. The guy that David is given the requirement. I wouldn't understand it if I didn't understand the work that he told Ziba he had to do. Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. And he was just told, you till the fields and you're going to take care of him. And Ziba responds back to David, according to all that my Lord, the king has commanded his servant. That's what your servant is going to do. And Mephibosheth said, shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table. He shall eat at the table. Uh, I've, I've, been in, I've been in prayer seeking the face of God for who would be here today to try to preach to you. And I, I want to preach to you positioned between these two tables. And I want to preach what I feel the Lord has for our short time together here today by this thought. Pick a table. Pick a table. Would you lift your voice? I'm going to turn my microphone off for a minute. I just want the voices all over the house to be lifted in prayer. Would you do that? Would you pray that God's word would speak to us all around this room? Amen. Amen. Everybody out loud before you're seated, would you say, pick a table? You may be seated. Pick a table. I'm not sure who in here, like me, is not much of an artist or a drawer. I have a pretty good imagination. The ability to picture it in my head and make it happen with a pencil is not the same. If you will let me design it on a computer, I can make it look pretty slick. But if you hand me a pen or a pencil, and I need to be just fair with you, you can give me a whole box of colored pencils. It's just going to look like a multicolored mess. 
I'm telling you that you can do average in color and it's still average. Recently, there has been a picture that has been going around. It's very popular. Many of you have seen it. It's this beautiful beginning of a horse and then it's the completion of the drawing. I think they have this image. <laughs> if you if <laughs> if you could make that beautiful hinder part if you could draw that, you, I mean, you're not bragging. I'm asking you, you feel like you could do that. I want you to raise your hand. It's a big crowd and that's like four people. Okay. Average people unite. Praise God. If you feel like you would be closer to the front half of that, my people. I will tell you, I would like to use this simple illustration after my text is a little bit of a launching pad here today. Brother Lloyd, I, I, I was trying to find a very simple way to illustrate what I felt like the Lord was depositing in my spirit. So many of you have seen this already online. You've laughed. People are taking this and they're putting different captions and different memes and uh, all kinds of things. I had a friend share that with me this week. And um, they, under the back half were the words, um, guy shows up to the golf course with the right clubs, the right shoes, the right clothes. And then under the front half, it said his actual golf game. <laughs> and people are doing this. I don't think he was talking about me. If he was, it's not as funny. Um, but people are using this with all different kinds of words. And I saw this and I laughed, but while I was in study for this, I thought this is the perfect visual illustration for what happens when God begins to design our life and then we take over. And so if you will allow me as simple as that is to use this as the launching pad for my, my, my sermon, my message here today that I believe is from the Lord, I would tell you that things look different when God is in control. I would maybe even ask for someone that could bear witness to that in this room. You have found that when he holds the pen to your life, it looks different. And how many know it is his desire to be both the author and the finisher? He doesn't just want his name to be on the front cover but he would like his description to be on the back cover as well. Our opening text today is about an individual by the name of Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was made an orphan, not by his own choosing. Orphans do not get a choice. Merriam-Webster defines orphans as a child deprived by death of one or usually both parents legally made uh, the son or the daughter is when someone is adopted and that is the shifting. And I want to be very sensitive. Anytime I bring up something like this, I understand that for many of us, this is just another word and just another definition. While for some of us, the word orphan and adoption is very sensitive and it means 
uh, a little bit more maybe to us than to others. And I would say to everyone in this room, I want to, at the beginning of this message, take the mask off of this so that you're not waiting on some great point which is to come by telling you we were all in need of the adoption of the Lord. And we will read scriptures about that here today, but in the physical and the spiritual, often being in mirrored uh, forms, I would tell you that the world's orphan organization reports that there are approximately 140 million orphans in the world right now. That means 140 million children who need a family to love them and to believe in them and to care for them. Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth was made an orphan and it was not of his own desire. If you will travel back with me just a little bit here this morning to the trying times of this warfare lifestyle that Saul had engaged in. Saul was a part of war because Saul was a king and Saul Saul got himself into some things, but the time also simply yielded some things that were unavoidable. Saul's son, Jonathan, was fighting with him. And because we will not take the time to thoroughly flesh and vet out the entirety of the story, simply let me tell you that in war, it is no um, secret to anyone in this house that in war, people die. And Saul and Jonathan, a father and a son. This is different than for most of us in our lifetime and certainly in our raising of Western culture. When we think of times of war and we think of, of seasons of war, we think of one generation has fought and then the next generation that comes behind them fights and then the next generation. It would be very rare for us to hear or to speak of father and son fighting side by side in a war and in our Western culture, even in the great wars that most of us have either lived through or were recent before our time here on the earth, we would not speak of multiple generations fighting together. Some of you were a part of very sensitive times. And again, I want to be careful with this topic, but very sensitive times. And we in this church, we honor our veterans and we honor those who have gone to war and those who have served on behalf of our country. But most would tell you that they did not fight along their sons or alongside of their children. But in the time frame that we are speaking of here today in the book of, of 2 Samuel, we are dealing with a season where fathers and sons, especially kings and their children, went into wartime together. In fact, it was a part of that hierarchy strength that they fought as a family. And I will tell you, it is a decent symbolism for us to accept that we should fight as a family rather than with our family. We should fight together, not against one another. It is, in fact, one of the great ploys of the enemy to turn brother against brother, father against son, mother against daughter, when the truth is we are meant to uplift and encourage and help one another. But as a result of this battle, Saul and Jonathan are both killed in battle. 
We should know Jonathan has done everything he can. Somebody say everything. He's done everything he can for David. He has worked hard to keep David alive. And so if our life and if the world operated simply on good and evil, then we would say, kill Saul, let Jonathan live. But war doesn't work that way. And even in the spiritual, because the physical and the spiritual are often mirrored. We have to remember that it rains upon the just and the unjust. We have great examples in the Old Testament and the New Testament that your lifestyle does not determine whether good things or bad things might happen to you. We simply are meant to do our very best to do what is pleasing Unto the Lord. And I, I, I've taken a little bit of time there just to tell you they're in a place where they are in war, and war is not asking their opinion because war will not ask your opinion whether you want to live or want to die. War and the enemy will not ask your opinion whether you want your wife and your relationship to be wrecked. War and the enemy will not come and knock on your door and say, if it's okay, we're going to try to take out your whole family. We're, we're going to try to destroy father and son. We're going to try to destroy mother and daughter or mother and son, father and daughter. We're going to try to destroy the entire family. But make no mistake, as certainly as a physical war that Saul and Jonathan were walking into and destruction was after them, make no mistake about it, there is a very real war that desires to destroy the people of God. But they are destroyed. They are killed. They are going to lose their life in war. And there's a description that is going to happen. For here in 2 Samuel chapter 9, when we read this, we hear Ziba give instant description of Mephibosheth. David has asked a question. It is an important question. Is there no one left of the house of Saul? Is there, is there no one that for Jonathan's sake I might be able to bless? And Ziba gives that response and he says, Jonathan has a son, but right there in chapter 9, he gives those words. He is lame on his feet. Turn with me back five chapters, if you will, to 2 Samuel chapter 4. And whether you turn in your Bible or whether you look upon the screen, I want to read these here in a moment to us. 2 Samuel 4 and verse 4. The Bible says, And Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son that was lame of his feet. And then it gives the description. He was five Years old when the tidings came of Saul and Jonathan out of Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And it came to pass as she made haste to flee that he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. He was at the age, Brother Traino, she could have taken him by the hand, but she allowed her panic 
to paralyze. I want everyone in the room to hear that if you were daydreaming or drifting for a second. I want everyone in the room to hear that because those words came to me in devotion for this service this morning. Do not allow your moment of panic end up paralyzing the next generation. She could have taken him by the hand and you, like I know, if he was five years old at this point and the son of Jonathan, he was five years old, it lets us know very clearly he was not paralyzed until this moment, until this nurse. It tells me that probably from 12 months to 18 months, somewhere in there, he began walking. You know, he was pulling himself up at the coffee table a long time ago. If you've had small children, which most of us in this room have, you know that it's amazing when they start crawling. We, we can't wait on them to start crawling until they do. And we can't wait on them to still start walking until they do. We want them to, we think it's amazing that they can reach for things until they can get things. Who's ever baby proofed your house so good you can't get into anything? You just, we're going out to eat. I can't even get in the cabinet. Do we have chips? I don't know. Isn't it funny? The only people that can get in the cabinets is the kids. It's just <laughs> baby proof nothing. They daddy proof is what. Sorry, this is personal resentment that's coming out in this moment. I <laughs> but probably for at least three, if not three and a half years, those young wobbly legs had been growing in strength and resilience and had been running through the house and around the yard probably at this day and age in the culture where they would have been. I'm sure that little Mephibosheth had, had chased several chickens around the yard and had gathered the eggs and knew what it was to run through the fields and knew what it was. I bet, I'm, my, this is my assumption at five years old, the way that I know kids and when you've had four, you know kids a little bit. At five years old, I got a decent feeling that Mephibosheth could have outran her. But in her panic, because Saul and, and Jonathan are dead and, and it, was, it was her natural instinct to give care. And so she picks up a burden. Listen, let me just tell you, at five years old, he was too big to carry. Five years old. My little kids always wanted to pick up kids. You ever see a kid pick up a kid that's as big as they are? They want to be the big sister or the big brother. Got kids hanging down, got this much space between their feet and the ground. They're carrying them around, just going to come hold the baby. I'm holding the baby. Five years old and that nurse, I want to be very clear. She had good intentions, but good intentions mixed with panic. are typically the recipe for disaster. Pastor Carson fleshed that out a little bit. I'm glad you asked. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. You listen to me. The enemy was not knocking on the door. He was not beating down the territory. He, he was not standing there ready to set the house ablaze. But she got word from a battlefield that she herself was not in. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. 
She got word from a battlefield that she herself was not in and she panicked irrationally and cost the next generation his ability to walk on his own. That's why we've got to be careful as parents not to bail our, ki bail our kids out of things that are actually growing them. You're not getting on to my kid. Let them get in trouble. Just let them a little bit. Say, well, not my kid. Well, listen, I've studied this for 20 years almost. Nobody has the right to abuse your kids. Nobody has the right to demean your children. You defend that all day long. But every person in this room, kids and grandkids, and I know that our children can't do wrong. But sometimes we need to just take them by the hand and let them feel the ground beneath their feet and let them run next to us rather than carry them in a panicked moment. If we're not careful, we will think we are rescuing when we are really destroying. Anybody feel what I feel? Man, I feel, feel a touch of the Lord in this room right now. I want everybody to be, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let everybody in the room out of jail mentally right now. I'm going to help everybody in the room. I'm going I'm to help me and you listen, Okay. You are not the Messiah. Whew. We're nurturers. We're providers. We're givers. We're caretakers. But we're not the saviors. And if we get in a place where the enemy gets us panicked and we try to she was running, you've got to picture this. I'm going to move on, but you've got to picture this nurse running in panic over an enemy that's not actually at the door, trying to save a kid that was obviously too big to carry. And here's the danger. When you're carrying things too big for you, you'll trip on what you cannot see. That's what the Bible says. She trips and falls. Why does she trip? She's carrying a weight she shouldn't be carrying. Trying to navigate all of this. And then gets tripped up. But what's my first response? I'm not mad at me. I'm not mad at the kid. I'm mad at the thing that tripped me up. Devil did it again. Can I tell you? There are things we're meant to carry, but there are things we're not meant to carry. Here's what we believe in this church. We believe we're meant to guard each other, help each other. But this next generation, since most of them are in class right now, here's what we're meant to do. At some point, we're meant to let them walk and run, and we're going to take them by the hand. Here's what I wish. I'd have rather her, I'd have rather her jerked his arm. And drug him behind her. But I got a feeling it would have been the other way. He'd have probably been laughing. Where are we going? Running. Enjoying it. Take him by the hand and run rather than try to pick him up. Do we got that point? We feel good about it? She's tripped up. She's trying to carry to. Man, I feel a word to just tell somebody right now. Stop carrying things you're not meant to carry. 
Some of us are carrying things in here that you are not designed or meant to carry. I'm gonna go a step further with this. Some of you in this room, you are carrying worry that is not yours to carry. You need to give that to the Lord. Some in this room are, you are carrying burdens. They're too big. They're too big. They're not just, yeah, but if I don't carry them, who's gonna carry? Mephibosheth will follow you. He can go with you. So we get this situation. He's, he's uh, five years old at the fall. Everybody say five years old. Tried to study this. I've tried to study this timeline. It's been important to me. I've tried to, I've tried to figure out this kid, this, this, this boy, this, this boy that gets wounded by this fall. He gets made lame by this fall. He didn't ask for, he didn't, he didn't ask for this, but he's wounded by this fall. He's five years old. I've tried to picture him what that must have felt like. And I, I understand. I've said this. This is the third time. I've, I understand the sensitivity even with a topic like this. And I'm not making light of this. We have people that are connected to our church. They knew what it was to be able to walk and be able to run and, and life and seasons and sickness and turmoil. And tried to picture what that must have been like for Mephibosheth to look out the window at that field. And if he's not careful... Every time he sees her, there's resentment. And every... Ready for the next one? Every time he thinks of his daddy, if he'd have been watching me and not off fighting. Now every time he thinks about Jonathan, he tell me my dad was a fighter. I can't even walk into the field, he I can't even get to his tombstone unless somebody carry him. Oh, man. He didn't ask for this, ladies and gentlemen. He is in a place where if he is not careful, resentment can set in. And anybody and everybody in this room that's ever been wounded because of somebody else, which is a vast majority in this place, if we're not careful, that wound will heal with the balm of resentment. I'm gonna park there for a second. There's deep ministry in this room today. There'll be a scar there. The wound is not, it's not open. It's not, it's not vile. It's not, it's not pussing anymore. You don't pour peroxide. I don't mean to be too, it's scabbed over. It's even wounded. You, you can see the spot. The wound is there, but anytime they come to mind and he, he's not ready, he's not ready. You've got to think of Mephibosheth. He's not ready for the day that someone shows up ready to show him kindness because of a father that left him. I wish I had an answer for what I felt in prayer for the people that I would address today that were hurt by parents. I wish I had an answer for you other than to tell you this, in spite of what happened to you, God is able to make everything out of your life that he has ever planned and ever desired. And no matter who hurt you, whether it was your nurse that dropped you, whether it was some friend in your life, whether it was a parent who abused, I, 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 I can't, I, I want to be sensitive with this, but I want to tell you the promises of God are yea and they are amen. And no matter what happened to you, God knows how to do what's best in your life.
Somebody shout amen. It's the truth about this. And Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth, five years old when he's dropped, but he's begun to grow. It seems like on the timeline when David takes kingship that he's about 12. He's just getting into the youth group. He's laying up in this house. He's going to lay in this house in Lodabar for years. He's going to be lame on his feet, but he's still going to somehow end up with a family. He's going to end up with a, a home. He's going to end up with a child, a, a, a beautiful boy that we're going to read about later. It's, it's, it's things that we don't really pay attention to much in Scripture, but it's, it's necessary to know that there can be life after the fall. There can be life afterwards, and, and he's moving on, but there's there's something, it seems like this son comes after the restoration from David when you read through it. It seems like he's lost in Lodabar and, and he's alone and he's kept there. And, and, and Ziba is not ready for the words that he's about to hear when David walks in and he says, Is there not anyone from the house of Saul that I can show some mercy from God for Jonathan's sake? Ziba, you might not know this, but when my life was on the line, Jonathan fought for me. When, when I, I felt like I was never going to make it out. Now, even my, my dad didn't think I would be a king. And, and Saul was intimidated that I was going to be a king. But, but God did something to Jonathan's heart. And every one of us that are here today that have made it through trials, most of us are here because God knit. He did something in the heart of somebody that showed us kindness when nobody else would. They prayed for us. They cared for us. They kept us. They guided us. They guarded us. You know what I want to do? I want to be like David. I want to think about those who have blessed me. I know that some have wronged me, but there are some that have blessed me. I want to emulate them. I want to be aware. And I want to say, if Jonathan did that for me, who can I show mercy to? And if we are not careful because of that balm of resentment, if we are not careful, it's why they say abused become abusers and alcoholic children become alcoholic parents. Because if we're not careful, we emulate the negativity rather than the positivity. We emulate... Hmm. I'll tell you what we emulate. We emulate whichever thing becomes a bigger God to us. We emulate whichever thing becomes the primary perspective in our life. If I focus more on negativity, then I will speak negative. If I focus more on hurt, then I, please hear this. If I focus more on hurt, then I will give hurt. But if I will focus on mercy, and if I will focus on grace, then I want to dispense mercy to others. And I want to dispense grace to others. I want everybody to hear me. We've got to be a church of mercy. We've got to be a church of grace. I know there has been negativity, but there's been mercy. I know there's been hurt, but there's been uplifting and there's been grace. Woo. And people may have been bad, but God has been good. God's been good. He's really been good. How many remember that? He's been so good to me. How do I let him down? I focus on the negative and not the good. Some of you tailed off. Some of you heard that singing. I just can't let him down. 
I grew up in a church where sometimes we sang it, just can't tell it all. I've been in enough churches, I tell everybody sings everything different. Can't tell it all. I can't tell it all. But I better tell some. David has said, is there anyone? And they, they start talking about Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth is lost there in Lodabar. Be a great title, lost in Lodabar. Lame in Lodabar. Let's think of all the L words. Sorry. But I'll tell you what he wasn't. He wasn't expecting the day when somebody was going to walk in his house and say, the king, the king would like to talk to you. Let me tell everybody in this room, whether you know it or not, the king would like time with you. Yes, sir. <laughs> Brother Ross, whether we've been in church for a long time or it's the first Sunday, the king would like time with you. Whether you got the right pedigree or whether you don't, the king would like time with you. Whether you're perfectly healthy or lame on your feet, the king. Whether you're the picture of health or diabetes is ravaged your body, the king. Man, I feel like telling somebody that. The king would like a moment of your time. And how many have found that when you get into the king's presence, you find there are blessings that he can give that nobody else Nobody else can give you those blessings. When I got in the presence of the king, I found out there was joy nobody else could give. I found out there was peace nobody else could give. <laughs> Brother Friendly, he tells the servant, um, you got some boys? Think about this. The Bible was gonna forever record. Zeba has 15 boys. That servant was having some kids. <laughs> 15 boys and 20 servants. What kind of servant has 20 servants? I'll tell you the kind. The kind that's been divinely set up. Zeb, Zeb, Zeb. Uh, you got boys? 15. Got any good workers? All uh, right, 20 servants. Are they good in the field? They're the best. Imagine this if you're Mephibosheth. That's his field. That's his land. King, King, that's your land. No, 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 no. That was Saul's land. That's Jonathan's land. So that's his land. You think you're my servants, you're his servants. You go work that land. You go work that land. You go, t my God, this boy, and you, you pick him up, though, when it's dinner time, and you bring him to my table. I know you've heard this illustration, but I'm going to share it again. When you're at the table, no one can tell whether you're lame underneath. He had functionality of his body from his lower extremities up. Read the text. Read it all the way through. He did. He just couldn't walk. But when he got set up right at that table, you can focus on my lameness if you want to, but the king said, we're not going to focus on that at this table. You know what I'm doing if I'm Mephibosheth? 
I'm trying to figure out which fork and which knife and which, which this. Come on, I've talked about this before. You ever been at a restaurant and you got to pretend you belong there? First time I was ever taken to a nice steakhouse, I just had to pretend. Yeah, that's how we always do it. <laughs> Yesterday I'd been eating on Chinette, you know, just. Some of you don't know what that is. That's the nice styrofoam. That's the nice. Anybody in this room ever eaten off of a cardboard box? Come on, you lie, you fry. I feel pretty great witness in this room. And if we're not careful, we act like we belong here. But most of us, we get drugged to this table. Ain't got no back. We get drugged. I'm not trying to be insensitive. I'm just telling you, this is where most of us live when the king has already in. How much sense would it have made if the next day Mephibosheth would have said, no, just take me to that table because I don't belong. Just, just take me here. Give me some of them plastic utensils. Making fun, but I'm going to tell you, this is where a lot of us live spiritually. You hear that? Yeah. Well, I was wounded as a kid, and this is all I deserve. They abuse. I know, I know I heard him preach, but I don't really think that's for me. And we live on processed food, spiritually. My God. Backs out of our, backs out of our chair. We're looking at fields that he already told us were ours. And we're still longing for what could have been when it's already been restored. If we're not careful, we come back in week after week and beg stuff that God already gave. I'm telling somebody today it's time to pick the right table. Let me tell you, let me tell you the best way, the best way to stop coming back to this one is to fold this up. Get this stuff out, move it out of your life and remove the option that you are not less and that you are not going back to who you, you are not an addict anymore. That's not your table. You are not a non-believer anymore. That's not your. That is not your table. Forget this nonsense. These are not your chairs. This is, you don't have to live broke down. You don't have to live beat up. You don't have to live neglected. Quit letting people tell you that you belong. Pick the right table. You are a child of, you're a child of God. Oh, let's, let's just praise God for a minute. I know there's some people in this room, you wouldn't be moved for anything. But if you can be moved, you ought to be moved right now. You ought to be moved right now. He picked me up. He gave my life purpose. He gave my life hope. Stand with me, I'll stop. I want everybody in this room to hear me very carefully. I hope you got a great job, but your job is not your greatest purpose. I know people, I know people in this room right now. You don't feel validated unless your job's doing good. I, I hope you have a great job. I hope you make boatloads of money. 
I hope you return your tithes. I hope you invest in the kingdom. I hope you, I hope you have all that. And I got a feeling you won't unless you do. But I'm telling you this. At the end of the day, you can have millions in the bank and still spiritually pull up to that table right now. You'd be crawling around on the floor getting your plastic utensils, getting your little scrap like you're walking up to a 4th of July cookout. You own the field and begging for some can't get it for myself. What do you mean? Who has convinced you you can't get it for yourself? Seba's got 15 boys. <laughs> there's a turn. There's a turn in the confidence. Go, just go read about Mephibosheth. There's a turn in his confidence. It changes. I'm telling you, when you really see how the king feels about you, it will it will change. Well, pastor, pastor, pastor walked past me and didn't, didn't hug me or didn't. I'm not trying to be, listen, I'm not trying to make light of this. No, I'm not, I'm not trying to be braggadocious. Turn off live recording if you need to. This isn't for, we had 1,150 people here last week. I can't, what if, Pastor didn't shake my hand. I don't know if I'm valuable or maybe he doesn't. I love you. <laughs> Pastor Lopez, there's no way you can get there. I love you. I promise you I'm going to try to. And if you, if you want to schedule a meeting, I promise I want to sit down with you. I want to talk to you. I want to see you thrive. Anybody that's ever sat in a meeting with me, you're going to hear me say, I want you to win. I want your family to win. But let me tell you something even more valuable. King. We're doing everything we can to build systems and teams so that everybody can have the personal connection that's necessary. But at the same time, I'm also trying to build a team. Brother Watkins, I'm trying to build it in such a way that we don't build our churches around individuals, but around the kingdom, the kingdom principle. Go with me in your Bible before, before we conclude. Go to Romans. Whew. Oh, I feel, I feel the touch of the Lord in this place. I feel the touch of the Lord in this place. I feel the touch. Oh, Jesus. Romans, Romans chapter 8. Verse, verse 12 reads these words. It says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. If you live after the flesh, you'll die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you'll live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they... They're the sons of God. I know you might feel like Mephibosheth. You might feel like a little orphan, lost, lame, and loaded bar. But if you've not received the spirit, for ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. 
but ye have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. No, I know maybe a nurse didn't, didn't drop you and I had every intention of going through all the scriptures where sin entered into the world by one man and by one man it's overcame. I, I wanted to read more to you about being a part of the body of Christ. I wanted to get to you in Galatians. I wanted... But I'm just going to summarize it all right now and tell you. Sin might have made you stumble. Somebody in your family might have thought they were helping you. And they put you in such financial turmoil. And then they left. Maybe you're like Mephibosheth. And Jonathan went to fight his fight and left somebody in charge of you that panicked. I'm telling you, I know whereof I speak from time and devotion this morning. There are people all over this house that somebody else's panic wounded you. It's the way they reacted when you got in trouble that time. For some of you, it's decades removed. But you got an old wound. You've prayed about it. You've sought God about it. But you never get more than a month before you pull up to that old table. And you think, I'll never be more than this. I've come with an assignment from heaven on this Sunday morning to tell you it's time to pick the right table for once and for all. Brother Butler, I've tried to picture some of those servants walking in and seeing David in that chair in Mephibosheth. After a while, what was awkward became normal. First couple of times, people would have walked in that hadn't seen that. Who is that? Who is that at the king's table? But after a while, if Mephibosheth would have been missing, it would have been awkward. The king was adamant. David repeated it multiple times. Every day, you, you get him to my I want him eat of my bread. I need to tell you today, if you're missing from the king's table, he's not happy. Would you lift your hands all over this place? For some, it's been physical. For many, it's been mental, emotional. For some, it's been a spiritual wound. I don't know who dropped you. I don't know who hurt you. I, feel like I need somebody that would be willing to say, you know what, I, I know he's invited me to my, my seat at his table and the enemy wants to convince me that I don't belong. If you're in the balcony, I invite you to the middle in the balcony. If you're on the main level and you're willing and you desire to, I invite you to step out of your pew and walk down to this altar and say, I'm going to get me a seat at the king's table this morning and I'm going to serve Lodabar notice, and I'm going to serve the enemy of my soul. And I'm telling somebody, you need to serve the enemy of your mind and your emotions notice this morning. You think it's not a big deal, but I'm telling you it's a big deal. That you get out of that area and you walk down to this front and those emotions that keep trudging up and telling you you're always going to be a failure. 
It doesn't seem like it matters what money you get in the account and what car you drive. It's that old, it's that old fall that makes you feel like a failure. But I'm telling you, you got to pick the right table today. I want you to just play for a minute. No singing for a minute. I just want you to play. I'm asking there to be some sovereign prayer all over this house. If you've securely got a seat at the king's table, I want you to pray and make every guest at the table feel welcome right now. If you're here and you've been battling shame, you're a long lost son the king is looking for. If you're a woman here and you've got old emotional damage from what, what he did to you, I'm telling you, you you've got a seat at the king's table. If you've got a Mephibosheth near you that you know wants to come, but they're nervous, they can't get here by themselves. I wish. Ooh. Wish maybe you'd be aware right now. You'd consider what we talked about on Wednesday night and be aware right now. Maybe say you want to go with me. We'll go with me down front. Maybe we'll just stand there together. Oh, let's feast. Let's feast a little while in the presence of God. Come on, it's love, it's joy, it's peace. It's in the Holy Ghost. God, I need more than some drive-through process blessing. If you're starving and feel like you don't belong, you hear me, you belong here. You belong here. Don't you be nervous to reach over and get you something spiritual to eat. You belong here. Oh God, we love you.
<clears throat> yeah, that's it. Come on, pour your heart out to God for a minute. If you don't feel anything else to pray, would you join me in giving God thanksgiving that, that He even invited us to the table? Thank you, God. Come on, if you've been living for Him for decades, God, I don't want it to ever, I don't want it to get so accustomed to me that I take for granted that I've got the nice linens of the King's table, that I've got the bread and the bounty of the King's table. Give me a heart of thanksgiving. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. You belong here. You belong at the king's table. You've been invited. You've been invited. <clears throat> Jesus. Jesus. I curse that old shame. I pray against that old shame right now. I need a few people to latch onto that prayer with me right now. We pray against that old shame, that condemnation. That's not from the Lord. That condemnation is not of God. That's old. That's the enemy trying to keep you from feeling like you belong. God, thanks for loving me. Old condemnation over a spouse, over a loss, over a... I pray against that in the name of the Lord. I pray peace. I pray peace for your spirit. Strength for you. appropriate would you find someone near you take them by the hand or lay your hand upon their shoulder right now <clears throat> would you pray for them right now in this way God help them feast at your table 
Help them to feast daily at your table. Oh God, let the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace, gentleness, meekness, Let them break the bread of your word. Let them feast at your table. Oh. God, I pray blessing on these young men. These Use them for your glory. Use them for your glory. To feast at the king's table in prayer. In devotion, oh God, feast. God, let it be. No, 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 no. Come on, God is healing some things right now for some people. If you feel great where you're at, would you just pray for God to heal everything that He's trying to heal right now in some people's minds and hearts? Oh, God. Amen, amen, amen. You belong. You belong at the king's table. How do you know, Pastor Carson? How do you know I belong? Because this, this Bible I preach from said, Whosoever will. It's like David looked at him, said, you got an invitation here. Here's the hardest thing. Here's the hardest thing to deal with is that David told him, Brother Cunningham, David said, you have a seat here. He had a personal, it was different than just receiving a He had a personal invitation from the king. But guess what? Please hear this before we leave. The next day, 
Brother Chris, the next day, Mephibosheth was still going to be lame. Two months later, still going to be lame. Looks like a period of years later, he's going to have a son of his own, but he's going to still be lame. His lameness did not void his invitation. But please hear me before I'm done. His invitation could not be fulfilled without a carrier. Brother Shank, it didn't matter how much Mephibosheth had it. From the very mouth of the king, there was no higher honor. But even that could not be fulfilled without somebody saying, I'm going to help get the lame. We've spent all month. You think it's an accident that we've spent all month talking about reaching people and the last Saturday of the month, God let us see 14 people baptized. You think that's an accident? It's not an accident. I was taught, all you college students about to leave, those that are here today, about to leave for the summer, I was taught from the youngest years of my ministry, you will get what you preach. And so I'm concluding this month by telling you, we've got to preach it. But we've got to reach for them. Brother Marcus, I know it had to look awkward. I've considered there was no ego left for Mephibosheth being carried. There's not a lot of ego that can be there for the person doing the carrying or the person getting carried. But who cares about ego when you're trying? Here's what I believe. I'll let you go. I believe we got people all over this city that have an invitation. But they're not going to get here unless we. It's uncomfortable to carry. I know it's uncomfortable. But I'm telling you, they look good at the table. They clean up good at the table. Lord, we love you. We give you thanks in this house. Thanks for your word. God, if, if I didn't help anybody else, you helped me today. Your word helped me. I want to be what you've called me to be. I want to feast upon what you've called me to feast upon. I can't have too much devotion with you. I can't have too much time at your table. If I believe in Revelation 19, 7, that there's going to be a marriage supper of the Lamb, then I want to be pulling up to this table now so that I can get to that table then. I want to sit at the king's table now so that I can sit at the king's table then. 